if you're here for the first time, or if you've, it's been a long time since you've been, since you've been here, you should find in your, in your pew or seat back one of these things. We call it a, a connection card, and it just gives a, a little bit of information um, so that we can stay in touch with you. Uh, there's a spot on the back so we can know how to pray for you, and uh, we would just love to be able to connect with you. We have a free gift we'd like to give you. If you'd fill one of these out and stick it in the offering box on the back wall on your way out, we would greatly appreciate that. Now, please join me in your Bibles uh, at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In the uh, Advent weeks here leading up to Christmas, we've been talking about the generosity of God. A couple weeks ago, we laid the groundwork and, and reminded ourselves that, that God is the most generous and giving being in all the universe. There is no one so gracious and good and giving as He. Last week, we talked about how God gives us gifts and His grace. He has gifted us as believers. But as, as uh, one of the big differences between spiritual gifts and what gifts you might receive uh, here next Sunday is that the gifts you might get on Christmas Day are, are usually gifts for you, especially if it's a, it's a shirt or an a article of clothing. That's, that's yours to wear for yourself, you know, and spiritual gifts are different. God gives them to us, but so that we will give back to others, so we'll serve the body of Christ and be a blessing to those around us. This week, we want to talk about another facet of God's generosity and how, once again, we need to turn and use what He has given us to bless others and further His kingdom. Before we read this passage, I want to give you just a little bit of background as to what's going on. The Apostle Paul is writing to the, the church in Corinth, and if you've ever read First and Second Corinthians, you know that uh, they had some problems, they had some issues uh, that he had to deal with even somewhat harshly. And, and let them know clearly that in this area, in this area, in this area, they were being disobedient to the Word of God. And, and he had to rebuke them. One of the things that they had neglected to do, in, in the first letter that Paul wrote to them, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, in verses 1 through 3, he lets them know, it's just briefly, but he lets them know that he really needs them to help take up a collection for the church that's at Jerusalem. The church that's in Jerusalem has been hit very hard with uh, poverty, with persecution. Many of them were pilgrims that got saved on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 and, and just stayed there in Jerusalem. So they were away from their, their homeland, their families, their source of income, and they were struggling financially. And so Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16, hey, I want you to help these guys out. I want you to be a blessing to them. <laughs> well, here in 2 Corinthians, we find out that they didn't exactly follow through on that. And so he's coming at them again with a reminder to keep in mind these brothers and sisters in Jerusalem who are struggling. And what he's going to do is he's going to use an example of some other churches, the churches in Macedonia, and let, them know, let the Corinthians know, hey, look at what these churches in Macedonia did. Why don't you follow suit? Kind of a little bit of a guilt trip, but more of a motivation, an example that they should follow. The churches in Macedonia, he doesn't name them specifically, but they would have been the, uh, the Philippian church, where the book of Philippians was written to, uh, the, the Thessalonican church, the book of Thessalonians, and probably the Berean church as well. These were believers who wanted to help the Christians in Jerusalem, and now Paul is exhorting the Corinthians to do the same. 
And so that's the backdrop. And with that said, I want us to read uh, verses 1 through 9 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. In this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see to it that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty, might become rich. A mother wanted to teach her daughter about the importance of generosity, about the importance of giving in church. And so on the way to church one one Sunday morning, she gave her little girl a $1 bill and a $10 bill. She said, put whichever one you want in the collection plate. And keep the other for yourself. When they were coming out of church, the mother asked her daughter which amount she had given. The ten or the one? Well, said the little girl, I was going to give the ten, but just before the collection, that man in the pulpit said that we should all be cheerful givers. And I knew I'd be a lot more cheerful, cheerful if I just gave the one. So I did. For many of us as believers, that's kind of the perspective that we take. Now, I realize that, that there are some here who, who maybe uh, this message doesn't apply much to. You have a generous heart. You have a giving heart. In fact, you probably have to be reined in sometimes and be told, hey, listen, listen, we, we actually need food to eat on our tables. Let's not give everything away. You, you have a giving heart. Some of you have come up to me and privately asked, hey, is there someone in the, in the church who's in need that I can be a blessing to? Just, just, you don't want your name known. You want to do it anonymously. For some of you, th- this, this is a passage that you are doing well at following and being obedient to. But there's others of us who who need to be reminded of these things. That's what he told the Corinthians in verse 7. He says, you excel in everything. He said, you guys are doing super good in so many different respects. He says, your your faith, your speech, your knowledge, your earnestness, your your, your passionate. And in our love for you, he said, you're doing great in all these things. (laughs) But he says... See that you excel in this act of grace, this, this idea of giving. I want, you to, I want you to improve in this area. You're doing well over here, but there's room for growth here. And so for those of us who fall into that camp, God's word is for you today. As I was studying this passage, there were a few things that jumped out to me. The first of which 
And if you're filling in notes, these will be the, the blanks there. The first of which is that generosity flows from God's grace. Generosity flows from God's grace. Listen, being a generous person, for most of us, it doesn't just happen naturally, and it's not going to happen overnight. It flows from an understanding of just how good and gracious God has been to us. Look at verse 1. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. God had ministered and worked among these believers in Macedonia in such a way that they said, We want to be a part. We want to give. We want to cheerfully bless other people with what God has blessed us with. Understanding God's grace will give us a desire to give. When we understand and get to know the giver of the universe, we want to be better givers ourselves. He tells us down in verse 5, that he says, um, not as we expected, they, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Do you see, the, do you see the, the order there? They first nurtured their relationship with God and out of that sprang their desire to give. They gave themselves first to the Lord. They devoted themselves to the word of God and, and building their relationship with God. The more you get to know God, brothers and sisters, the more you will be like him. It is impossible to spend time at the feet of Jesus and be a stingy person. It is impossible to have a a growing and deepening relationship with God and hold your possessions and your money and what God has given you closely, unwilling to share and bless others. If you want to be more generous, if you know that you need to grow in this area, Begin by spending more and more time with God. Because the more you know your Savior, the more you will be like Him. Secondly, this passage revealed to me that our generosity should not depend upon our circumstances. Our generosity should not depend upon our circumstances. In verse 2, He says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. Do you hear what he's saying there? What an incredible verse. He says, in the midst of a severe test of affliction. Now, he wasn't just talking about, you know, some of us this morning have the sniffles a little bit with the cold weather. Um, aches and pains and things that, that, that uh, just little minor. He's talking about a, he says a severe test of affliction. Listen, it was not at all safe to be a Christian in those days in the Roman Empire. And many Christians in Macedonia had been persecuted. These are the days when, when, they, when they killed Christians for their faith. At the very least, you had to be looking over your shoulder. But very likely, you'd find yourself in prison or maybe even put to death. For your faith. They were in the middle of severe trials, yet they were still thinking of other people. I don't know about you, but when things aren't going well for me, I am all about me. I'm so self absorbed. Oh, it's so bad. My wife would tell you this if she were standing right here, but I'm like the worst patient when I get sick. I am so whiny, and and it's like, like, uh, you know, the, the, the worst thing that's ever happened. And my wife's just shaking her head, like, 
man, I, I, you know, she'd be cooking meals and taking care of kids, and, and I, I, I'm here I am just whimpering and whining and laying in bed, and, 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 and here these Christians were, were being persecuted. They were being hunted down for their faith and imprisoned. They had every reason to say, listen, we can't think about the church in Jerusalem right now. We can't think about helping somebody. Look how bad off we are. We're just trying to survive. We have families to think about. If anybody had an excuse not to give, to try to hoard their money, saving up for a rainy day or in case, I mean, think about it. If the husband was dragged off to jail, what would be the wife and the kid's source of income? They could say, well, I, I can't give right now. I've got I to gotta store up in case something bad happens to my family here. But no, it says, even in a severe test of affliction and their extreme poverty, they, they weren't well off to begin with. They were extremely poor. And it says, but still it overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Listen, generosity should not depend upon our circumstances. We should be believers who have a heart of giving, a heart of looking to bless, irregardless of what our circumstances are. The third thing that stood out to me is that generosity should not depend upon our means. Generosity should not depend upon our means. Verse 3 says, "...that they gave according to their means, as I can testify." and beyond their means of their own accord. Now, we already said that they they were people in extreme poverty. Verse 2 told us that. And now it says that they didn't just give according to their means, but they even went beyond that, it said. They, They wanted to do whatever they could to be a blessing to the struggling believers in Jerusalem. What a great testimony for us. Because again, I, listen, I, I know my heart. See, this message is as much for me as maybe more for me than anybody out there because I, I, one of my sinful tendencies is to be a stingy person. I'm not naturally a giver. And God has, for, for years and years and years, been at work on my heart on this. And I, and I, and I, I still struggle with this. I still struggle with this. And I always feel like I have a justifiable excuse. Well, we've got this bill to pay and... And, uh, you know, college is right around the corner. i got to be saving up for that. Good grief. And maybe when, the, maybe when the car's all paid off, then I can start giving. And we, you wait for just the right time. And it's always someday. Samuel Johnson said, The person who waits to do a, good, a great deal of good at once will never do anything. Begin today. No matter what your means are. This is what Paul is saying here is exactly what Jesus said when he told us about the widow and the might. God honored her. that The, the Pharisee was, was all pompous and, and obvious and showy about the great deal of money he put in the storehouses at the synagogue. And this woman just quietly slipped up there and just, just gave a little bit. It was almost nothing, but, but she gave out of her poverty. She wanted to bless God calls us to trust Him with our money, with our resources. They're not ours to begin with. He's given them to us. In His grace and His goodness, He's blessed us with whatever we have. And so He's calling us to be people who are generous. Generosity should not depend upon our, circ- or depend upon our means. 
Um, I do want to. I just. I do want to add two little footnotes to that. First of all, um, that phrase they gave beyond their means. Uh, Paul is not justifying. I've heard some TV preachers say this. Paul is not justifying putting your giving on the credit card, like charging your giving. Um, that's that's not what he's talking about here. But they stretched. They pushed themselves. They said, "What more can we do? What more can we do?" The second little footnote is that I, that I think that. Um, we need to remember, for those of you who are really giving people, and may tend to overextend yourself, um, he's not looking for ourselves to put our, he's not looking for us to put ourselves in dire straits. So uh, verse 13, which we didn't read that far, but he says, I don't mean that others should be eased and you burden. So he's not looking for us to put ourselves in a situation where we don't have food to eat because we gave so much. So for those who are, are passionate givers, keep that in mind. But I wonder how many of us have ever pushed ourselves and given in a sacrificial way. Many of us, and myself included, it's easy to give when you've got some extra. It's a little bit easier to give when it's been a good month. Maybe the bonus check came in or the commission. Or you're getting some overtime at work. But when, when we, we choose to give, in fact, the Bible teaches us all throughout the Old Testament, we don't have time to look at those passages, but it teaches us all the way throughout the Old Testament that it should be the first thing we do, give to God and then take care of the rest. And you know, he's promised to bless that type of thinking. He's promised to honor that mentality. I wonder how many of us give to a point where it is sacrificial, where we're having to cut out things so that maybe, maybe we, we cut off the cable so we can support another missionary. Maybe we cut back on a hobby so that we can give a little more to God's work and build God's kingdom. Sacrificial giving will be blessed by God. It reminded me of the story of the pig and chick, the pig and the chicken. The pig and the chicken were walking through a poor section of the city. And the chicken said to the pig, man, look at all these hungry people. There, there are people everywhere around us that just need a good meal. He said, let's make them breakfast. Let's make them ham and eggs. The pig's eyes got wide and he said, wait a minute. For you, that's a donation. For me, that's a sacrifice. I wonder when, when was the last time you had to give up something to contribute to the Lord's work, to build his kingdom. God promises to honor that. Fourthly, generosity flows from a joyful, eager heart. Generosity flows from a joyful, eager heart. Some of you know full well the joy of giving. You love to see people's face light up when you give a gift, when you hope bless them. You know that joy. Unlike the little girl in our earlier story who, who got joy from keeping the ten spot, we know that the Bible promises for those of us who give in the right heart, the right spirit, God will increase our joy when we give in a way that honors him. He says in verses 3 and 4 here, he says, they gave of their own accord, and they, listen to what he's saying here, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Do you hear what he's saying? First of all, they gave of their own accord. There was no coercion or manipulation. In fact, it looks like Paul was actually trying to talk them out of it. It says that they were begging earnestly. Another translation says they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. 
These people so badly wanted to be a part of helping the Jerusalem believers. They said, Paul, tell us how we can help. We, we want to take up a collection. He's probably saying, no, listen, you guys are being persecuted yourselves. You're already facing a lot of poverty. I've been bugging those wealthy Corinthians to pony up a little bit of cash. So why don't you guys just, just pray for those Jerusalem Christians But really, it's not necessary. There's other people who can do the work. And they said, please, please let us be a part. It seems like Paul was reminded of the joy that comes with giving. God is very much concerned about our hearts. He wants us to give in the right spirit. And he wants our hearts to be filled with joy when we do so. In a chapter over from now, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, he's going to say this, You must decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. God is looking for our generosity to flow from a joyful and eager heart. There's one more thing I want to say about verse 4. It says, they begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That word that's translated in my my copy of the scriptures as taking part, it's the word koinonia. It's the Greek word for fellowship. It's participating in. These Christians, even though they'd never met the Jerusalem Christians, or most of them anyway, they, they knew that they were brothers and sisters and they wanted to take part in what God was doing there. They wanted to walk with them together through their struggles. And that's what God calls us to do as believers. Generosity flows from a joyful, eager heart. And then finally, generosity demonstrates genuine love. Generosity demonstrates genuine love. Paul, in the, in the ensuing verses, reminds us that Titus had been there to help take up the collection. He's like, we've got him there to help finish this job so that you can send some relief to the believers in Jerusalem. He said, you're doing good in a lot of areas, verse 7, but you can grow in this area. And then we get to verse 8, and he says, I say this not as a command. He's not forcing them to do it. He's not obligating them to do it. He said, I want you to want to do this. I want this to come from your heart, not because I'm standing over you, looking down upon you, shaking my finger at you. This is not a command. I want you to give from your heart. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. You know, there's a way to demonstrate genuine love. It's by our actions. If you tell your spouse that you love them, but you never do anything loving, they would have reason to doubt your love. Let's say... You know that your spouse just loves to spend quality time with you. That just being alone, you don't even have to be out on a date dropping a lot of money at a fancy restaurant. They just want to be with you. They want to sit together and, and, and talk and they just enjoy your presence. They want to go on a car ride while you run errands and just be together. And you know that about your spouse. This is a, this is a loving thing. Well, if you never do that for them and you know that they're blessed by that, They would have reason to doubt your love. He says, I want you to put action towards your love. You can tell people, oh, I care about you, Jerusalem believers. I'm I'm so sorry that you're going through these difficult times. But if you never do anything about it, he says, says, your, your, 
your love isn't genuine. Show them by your action that your love is genuine. If you remember, a year and a half or so ago, we were walking through the book of James. This sounds really similar to what he said, right? He says if someone shows up at your doorstep and they're hungry, they're beat up, they're cold, and you look at them and you say, hey, it was nice to see you. I hope that belly gets filled and you get warmed up. And you don't do anything to meet that need. He says, what good is your faith? He says, put hands and feet to your faith. Make it real. Paul's getting at the same thing here. He says, show that your love is genuine. Show that the real, real thing is there by ministering to these believers in need. One writer says that there's a major implication that we can draw from these verses. That there is no way to grow to spiritual maturity without committing your finances to the Lord. Jesus can have our money and not have our hearts, but he cannot have our hearts without our money. Often, the balance, the, the statement in your checking account will show where your treasures are. And Jesus and the Apostle Paul, being driven by the Spirit of God, wants us to know that we can be a blessing to those around us and receive the joyful benefit of giving. We summarize this passage with verse 9. You know, the, the title of today's message was a, a portrait of giving, a portrait of generosity. And, you know, when back in the olden days, right before cameras, portraits, painted portraits were especially important. If you wanted, if your family wanted a, a picture of you, you'd have to sit for an artist while they, while they painted a picture of you. And, and some of them are incredibly detailed and you can pick up aspects of their personality. These portraits are unbelievable. And Paul here in this section, in this passage, has painted a portrait of generosity by telling us about the Macedonian believers and their heart to minister to the saints at Jerusalem. But you know, he paints in verse 9 another portrait of generosity. In fact, the greatest portrait that has ever been painted. A portrait that we're going to unpack even more next week on Christmas Day. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now, he's not talking about material wealth. He's talking about Jesus' position, like Philippians 2 talks about, Jesus' position in the heavenlies throughout all eternity, being in perfect unity with the Father and the Spirit. Everything was, was blissful and untouched by sin in the presence of God. And yet, for our sakes, he says, for our sakes, he became poor. He came to earth, this sin-wracked planet. To live among wicked people who wanted nothing to do with him. He became poor for our sakes. So that by his poverty, we might become rich. God is the greatest gift giver in the history of the universe. Even before the history of the universe began, 
the generous God, the all-giving, gracious God, was at work formulating a plan for the redemption of his people. God wants us to be like him. God wants us to have the heart of Jesus, who look around us and think, it really is more blessed to give than to receive. I hope you'll join us next Sunday. Remember, one service, 10 o'clock, is on Christmas Day. We, we look at and study the, the person, the one who is the greatest gift that has ever been given, Jesus Christ. May our lives mirror that same generosity that God has shown us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You know that maybe uh, this morning I was only preaching to myself. You know my heart. And you know that sometimes it looks more like the Grinch's than it does Jesus's. God, create in us a spirit of giving, of generosity, of a desire to meet the needs of those around us, to support the work of the ministry through the local church, to help missionaries who are struggling on the field to take the gospel to the far ends of the earth, a local family who might be just scraping together for a meal, let alone can't even think about Christmas presents this season. Lord, let us be like you. Create in us hearts of generosity that will glorify you, Father. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.